0: As we continue worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to the Gospel according to Matthew, the 13th chapter, beginning first with the 24th verse. That's Matthew 13, 24 and following. Let us receive together the Word of God. put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And the disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. Receive what the spirit is saying.
1: Will you pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks for today. We give you thanks for your grace. We give you thanks for your mercy. And I give you thanks for your mercy with me, your humble servant, and pray that you would help me to preach a word that your beloved ones uh, need to hear, want to hear, and may receive. Strengthen us by the power of your word and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Invasives. (laughs) Invasives are a thing that are threatening to devour my yard. They're what my landscape architect friend informs me is destroying so many of our habitats. They may look pretty at first, but then they proceed to cover over and strangle everything else. Invasives seem to have an uncanny ability to multiply at an alarming rate and to flourish in places that they don't belong. The kingdom, Jesus says in our parable today, is like a cultivated field that has been invaded and planted with seeds that don't belong. And when this becomes apparent as the plants grow, the farmer counsels letting everything grow together, out of care and concern for the survival of the intended crop with a promise that things will get sorted out at the appropriate time. Now this is a risky proposition, this growing together, because invasives are so aggressive and can do so much damage. But evidently the planter has confidence that the wheat will be strong enough to thrive and to produce its life-giving food even in the midst of struggle and challenge. This metaphor would have made sense to the original audience of Matthew's Gospel a community of Jewish Christians who not only had the usual conflicts of religious community within its own ranks, but were also actively engaged in conflict with leaders of the Pharisee-led Judaism that predominated in 80 to 90 of the Common Era. Trying to grow in healthy ways in the midst of attack and surrounded by philosophies, theologies, and practices that don't fit into the vision of the kingdom as taught by Jesus is difficult. This parable offers a rich image through which to consider how to respond to that reality. And I suppose we shouldn't really be surprised that the writer of Matthew took this rich parable and sucked every drop of nuance right out of it in the allegorical explanation that follows. There's a whole other sermon I could give right now about what I just said. But the thing is, is that the author has clearly given us this explanation that only, by the way, appears in this one place, not in any of the other Gospels, but gives this explanation in the context of conflict in his time and place. When we are in conflict, when we are polarized and defensive and fearful, it seems common to want to categorize things To lump people together, to assign absolute values, good, bad, and to take comfort in our self-appointed goodness and in the promise that the bad people will get what's coming to them. There's something very emotionally satisfying about imagining our enemies weeping and gnashing their teeth. But does it have to be this way? My first reaction when I started praying with our text for today was to notice that in the parable, the enemy appears and plants troubling seeds, quote, while everybody was asleep. I thought, if people stayed awake this wouldn't happen. See, it doesn't have to be this way. Perhaps this is true to some degree. Constant vigilance could protect the field from destructive invasives. But then I realized that that really can't be the core message. Because the truth is, we're all planted in a field. We're all born into a world that has pre existing conditions. No amount of vigilance can undo what's already been done. Ways of thinking and reacting and treating others. Are all around. Like the seeds of invasive plants that get eaten by birds, who then migrate with them and then excrete them in all the places that they alight. In that same way, concepts and ideas and philosophies and prejudices are consumed and carried and shared. For example, Ibram X. Kendi's book, Stamped from the Beginning, illustrates the way that the idea of racism moves and morphs and takes root over centuries. Whether we like it or not, this is the way it is. We are in a proverbial field in which things are all mixed up. There are planted seeds of love and of life, and there are seeds of harm and death. And seeds want to grow, and they do grow together. In a world of pre-existing conditions, we are surrounded not only by creative, gentle, playful, inspiring, and soul-enhancing energies, but also by aggression and malicious intent and pain and greed and other potentially soul-damaging stuff. We're not only surrounded by these things as though we can remain separate or distant from them, but we soak up and ingest them to varying degrees our makeup is affected by the field in which we are planted. Like a wine that tastes a certain way because of where the grapes are cultivated or milk that tastes a certain way because of what the cows ate. My dad used to talk about blinking milk. (laughs) Or the flavor of honey tinged with the flower the bees loved most that season. Within each one of us are the capacities that we have taken in, capacities for care and for harm, for love and for hate, for violence and for peace. With the way things are, we have to choose what way we will respond. How do we navigate this complicated world, this human life, so beautiful and broken? One of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is just how tempting it is to do the thing we hear in the allegorical explanation today, to assign everyone a label and to tidy things up with hard and vast absolutes. You go into the children of the kingdom camp and you go into children of the evil one camp. The impulse will always be to, in one way or another, rip out or cut off or other way otherwise lay hands on and not in a good way whomever we deem to be the evil ones. Now some will argue that the text is clear that it's not up to us to make these assignments or to try to get rid of the children of the evil one. That may be the case, but let's be honest. That's what people do. And texts like the one that we've read today have provided handy religious legitimation to do it. And let's be honest about how it's not just those other people who may do this, but we do it too. Let's be honest about how easy it is to fall into this way of thinking, even when we try not to. One of the things I hear a lot is, I, 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 the person I judge the most is the people who judge other people. <laughs> Perhaps we can also be honest about how some of us turn this thinking in on ourselves and believe that we are the bad seeds deserving of punishment, undeserving of care or of love, what we imbibe from the soil in which we grow can be deeply internalized such that it is difficult to extract ourselves or others from labels. Lumping people together based on anything, race, accent, education, appearance, Political affiliation, orientation, identity, personal style, vocation, whatever. Lumping people together based on anything erases a person's humanity and identity. You put a person in a category or under a label, and all of a sudden they're no longer a person with a story and a family and a body and dreams. They become a thing. They might be a thing you consider good, wheat, or a thing you consider bad, weed. But they become, in either case, an object, not a subject. The wheat, you see, is not expected to have much weediness in it, and a weed is not supposed to have any weakness in it, no longer human. A recent example that is resonant with our current challenge and work uh, that I found recently from writer Michael Harriet. I found him on Twitter. He writes for The Root, among other outlets. He said this, listen really carefully to this. He said, that anti-white sentiment people keep talking about is just the erosion of what I call the privilege of individuality. He says, white people aren't accustomed to being lumped together and being defined by the actions of others. Welcome to the club, he says. To be lumped together and defined by the actions of others, strips us of our individuality. Being lumped together under any label, is dehumanizing. And that's what our labels, our stereotypes, our racism, and all the isms do. When we have successfully dehumanized people, it is much easier to blame, use, abuse, or kill them. Now, my guess is that some listening to my words are thinking something like, but some people are awful. (laughs) Are we not supposed to get in the way of injustice? Are we not supposed to call out those who harm the vulnerable? Are we not called to get into good trouble for the sake of the kingdom? The answer to all those questions is yes, of course we are. This is part of our call. In the entire tradition, the prophetic tradition in Scripture, it's part of sacred resistance. I don't think our parable today is asking us to do nothing or to ignore evil, injustice, and oppression. I do think it's about being honest about the reality in our world and in our own lives, a reality that is much more complex than the easy dualisms and absolutes so prevalent in our current context. Remember for just a moment, Jesus calls Peter Satan in a moment of hyperbole and then entrusts him with the keys to the kingdom. Jesus sees through the small life of the despised tax collector Zacchaeus to perceive the big things that Zacchaeus would do through generosity. Jesus loves Mary Magdalene and draws her into the inner circle when others exclude her due to her demons. In Matthew 5, Jesus teaches us to love our enemies and in Matthew 18 says that it's God's will that none will be lost. Our parable today uses very scary images to highlight that there are consequences for our choices. It is damaging and painful to body and to soul to be hateful, cruel, and selfish. But the whole of the gospel affirms that God's way of dealing with a beautiful, broken world and with broken lives is not to abandon or to destroy, but to draw ever nearer in love, mercy, and grace, even stepping directly into the mess of the world with us. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be truly human, perfectly reflecting the image of God's love. Jesus never dehumanizes or allows a label or a mistake or a flaw to define a person, to damn a person. And thanks be to God for that. Right? We are all human. Not one of us is weed free. We are all trying to find our way. None of us are perfected in love. We all do harm. We all experience pain. We all have tangled up roots from all sorts of seeds. We've all taken on the flavor of the soil in which we have been planted. We are all complex, unique, creations and children of God. As followers of Jesus, our call is to be human with other humans, to be humanizers in a world where the seeds of inhumanity and dehumanization want to grow. We're called to be planters and cultivators of love and mercy and grace and to let those kingdom values fuel our resistance, to let those divine gifts live and grow in us and make us and the world more truly human. It's never easy to be human. The world, our lives are beautiful, And broken. And God knows right now everything's hard. Perhaps it didn't have to be this way. But this is the way it is right now. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to be in it? What might happen were we to live as if God's amazing grace is at work in every single moment, in every tangle, in every struggle, on every bridge, in every triumph, on every street, in front of every courthouse, in every jail sale, along every line, in every weakness and strength, if God's grace were at work in every mistake, in every place of pain, in every moment of creativity, in every life, including our own? What if God's amazing grace is at work in every person, determined to strengthen, to mend, to liberate, to save? What if we were to live as if we were all made, planted, cultivated to do nothing but love. Amen.